Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. Coming to you from the Baker Law Group, Studio 107, it's SOL. Live, raw, and uncensored with your host, Drew Baker. Shady that Baker, just happened. Matt Dixon, the Iron Man. And Kristen Camacho, the Enforcer. I didn't choose this. A podcast dedicated to protecting your rights by exploring the law, politics, and current events. You have the right to remain silent and listen or call in and become a part of the show. And now, here's your host, Shay and Bates. Welcome to the SOL Podcast. I am your host, Shake and Bake. Well, we're here again on season two. We thought season two was done, but it is not. The never-ending season. Another bonus round, because we got a call from somebody really exciting. We've got a guest on today that we're going to introduce shortly. But as I said, I am your host, Shake and Bake, and I am here with the Iron Man. How are you today, Iron Man? I am still getting over... um, some tubing this weekend that people my age shouldn't do. Your body just can't recover. Well, maybe yours can't. As the Iron Man, though, you should be able to I, do that. I thought the same thing. Maybe I just overdid it. I don't know. But everything hurts. The core, the arms, the legs, my neck. It's just, I'm in bad shape, man. Sounds like you need to retire from the Iron Man competitions if this is the case. Well, I'm fine with the Iron Man. That was tubing. Tubing. Was, yeah. So in other words, you're getting thrown around and... All kinds of directions. Yeah, I'm getting bounced around everywhere. You know, my mm. son, he's smiling, screaming, having a great time. I'm cringing. I'm the things apart. you will do for your children, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I want to start by just letting everyone know where to find us. As we always say, there's millions of listeners, obviously, so it can't be that hard. But we do have, let's see, everything from iHeartRadio, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Recently, we found out that Amazon is actually doing a separate podcast type setup where they're doing very much like iTunes. From what I can tell, they haven't fully released it, but we have signed up. So soon we will be part of the Amazon podcast crowd. And there's a bunch of other ones that I can't really remember. But uh, if you go on the Buzzsprout website, which is where we host our podcast, you'll be able to uh, link up to any of those other forums. The title of today's show, as you all are aware we love fancy titles, but this one's good. If you've ever watched Caddyshack, you'll appreciate it, I think. But it is, it's your honor, your honor, the road to the robe. And the reason that we came up with that is if you haven't figured it out, we may or may not have a judge in the studio today. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So hopefully you've been on your best behavior, Matt. Never. I'm not surprised. But you need to keep it under control today. We are being watched by the one and the only Judge Russo. How are you doing today, Judge? I'm well, thank you, and thank you for having me. Absolutely. We're excited to have you on today, and we thank you for coming in. Rumor has it there's an election around the corner. Is that true? There is, uh, about three months and counting. Wow. Well, we're going to get into that and how you got to this point in your career, because there is a road to the robe, I would assume, we will now insert our disclaimer. Remember, the views and opinions expressed on this show are meant for informational purposes only and are not to be construed as legal advice. There is no way in any way that we are creating an attorney-client relationship. 
All right. Well, thanks for listening. As you know, we don't get political advice. We just help out. That's the reason that we're here. And that's why we started this is to give everybody a little bit of a suggestion. So you don't find yourself short of the statute of limitations or possibly something else. Matt would like to talk to our judge today. And before he does, he's going to ask her some questions, but a little background on Judge Russo. She was an attorney at Vorey's, a very reputable firm here in town. She was there as a civil litigator for 10 years. She then moved over to the prosecutor's office where she served seven years as an assistant prosecutor. Very, very impressive background. Uh, Matt, you have some questions for our judge today. I do. I do. And first, thank you, Judge Russo, for joining us here. It's a real honor and pleasure to have you uh, on the podcast today. Um, Just want to uh, provide you an opportunity to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. So first, could you, I know Drew just sort of went through your background, but could you uh, maybe just give us a little better idea or dig in a little deeper about what it is you've done prior to becoming a judge? Yeah, thank you. And first of all, let me say that I'm honored to be here. No pun intended. <laughs> oh, that's good. I like that. <laughs> but anyway. Um, your honor, your honor. <laughs> so yeah, I graduated from uh, law school back in 2002 I went directly there from law school to the Voorhees Law Firm. I was a civil litigation associate for about 10 years. I stayed very general in my practice at Voorhees. I did a lot of um, general civil litigation, workers' compensation, product liability, personal injury, labor and employment, um, you name it, I probably did it at Voorhees. Thereafter, I became a an assistant prosecuting attorney in about 2012. I worked at all units or in all units at the prosecutor's office. I started out at the juvenile division. I then went and worked in the grand jury unit, and then I became a full trial staff prosecutor in a, about April of 2015. So I tried cases at the adult felony level for about five years. Uh, and then in March of 2019, I was appointed as a judge to the Franklin County Court of Common Pleas General Division by our now governor, Governor DeWine. Wow. Okay. Wow. That's a, that's a heck of a background. It makes yeah. me feel like I've done nothing with my <laughs> yeah. life. But yeah, thank really. You. Um, well, that's fantastic. So we, we hear that, uh, as you were saying, you're, you're campaigning. There's an election around the corner. How often do judges have to go through that process? So my track is a little bit different than your typical track. There was a vacancy on the Court of Common Pleas at the time that I was appointed in March of 2019. And by law here in Ohio, if you're appointed, you have to run in the next general election for that seat. So regardless of where I was in the term, a judge's typical term is six years, but the term follows the seat and not the person. So I came in to that term in year two. But because I was appointed, I have to turn around and run in the next general election, which is November of 2020. Okay. All right. Interesting. In that campaigning process, what kind of activities have you been engaged in so far to get your name out there? Yeah. So it's been a little bit of a a difficulty this year. Obviously, we're not able to engage in a lot of the traditional campaign activities as uh, campaigns in the past. Um, As you know, all mass gatherings of any kind have been canceled or postponed. So there has been no parades, no fairs, uh, no speaking engagements, uh, um, <laughs> no can't, fun. Can't you just make a 
judgment that uh, it's okay to have more than 10? (laughs) Well, I have to follow the law, just like everyone else. So, you know, we really had to be creative this year and kind of think outside of the box. We've done a lot of Zoom events. I did have a um, Zoom event earlier this year where we did a trivia night on Zoom, and, awesome. and that was fun. We've also engaged in a lot of Zoom meetings for our campaign meetings and the like. We're doing a lot of stuff in lieu of traditional campaign events, but just focusing more on the community. So my campaign in particular has focused on volunteering. So I've been working a lot with food pantries in the community. I've been working a lot with churches. We've organized some food drives and some backpack drives. um, And we've really focused and spent a lot of energy and time out serving the community. And I bet in my experience, there's a tremendous amount of personal satisfaction you get out of being able to help people, going to the soup kitchens, just doing all these activities, community service events. I've always taken a lot out of that, and I'm sure you have as well. Well, it's a couple of different things because there is such a need right now. And so we're really focused on filling that need and filling the void first and foremost. Because we have a lot of time and we have a lot of organization and I have a committee at my disposal, it's the best way to to utilize time and resources right now. Did Did you mention you had a golf outing? I am having a golf outing this Friday, actually. And it's actually a... A golf outing that uh, another judge is also participating in this particular golf outing, and Judge Jennifer French and I, and yeah, it's at Westchester Golf Course in Canal Winchester. Awesome. So also, I know uh, while you're campaigning, typically candidates, judicial candidates are running around also looking for endorsements from different groups around town. Uh, What kind of endorsements have you gathered during the campaign process? So that experience and the normal course of events in that has also been changed up a little bit because normally we do a lot of endorsement screenings during this time and those are usually all in person. A lot of them have been conducted over Zoom virtually, um, but we have been successfully able to screen and to um, interview with a lot of different organizations around town. I have been endorsed by the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council. (laughs) Teamsters 284 and 413. I recently was endorsed by the uh, firefighters, the Columbus Firefighters Local 67, the AFL-CIO, and most recently, um, the FOP Capital City Lodge 9. Wow. That's an impressive list. That is a list. We endorse you at the yes. SOL podcast. SOL podcast, too, podcast just so you know. officially endorses. I mean, I know, that's the, I know that was the most important of all the endorsements. <laughs> that's going to get her over the top. Actually. Absolutely. This, nothing gets her elected that well. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> that will go on all of my literature, guys. Yes. Thank you so much. Yes. So, so the, the endorsements are great. I, you know, I'm a little more curious, though. As a judge, you're sitting on the bench. Uh, you're having to view all of these cases and determine what should happen in any particular scenario. What is your philosophy on the bench? What's your judicial philosophy? So I preside over both civil and criminal cases. I have a docket of about 600 cases right now. 60% of those are civil cases and 40% of those are criminal cases. My philosophy in general is to be fair, uh, to provide equal access to justice for everybody. I was elated that the CBA judicial performance poll came out this year and I scored very high on my judicial temperament, which meant to me that I'm a listener 
then I'm open and then I hear what people have to say. On the civil side of things, I understand because I've had the civil background that most of the civil lawyers do have a client to respond to. Uh, and so I need to work expeditiously on their case just like they do and getting materials and briefing to me. I have to turn that around in a timely and efficient manner um, so that their parties and their clients get the result of the case one way or the other. And so I work, I'm very meticulous on, on that end of things. On the criminal side, I would like to positively impact people's lives is what I try to do in each and every case. I do believe that it is my job to help people improve their lives, to remove obstacles, and to help them succeed. Uh, to that end, I applaud successes, and I try to refrain from compounding struggles. Wow. Big words. It's <laughs> a lot of big words. Two very big words. Yeah. <laughs> but I think the temperament thing's important as somebody that did criminal defense work and then moved to the civil side of things. It's so important to have a judge that keeps that equilibrium. So having that kind of level and balance really is important. I know as a litigator to to have that and find that in a judge, it's a great quality. So congrats on your success on the CBA poll, because as attorneys and litigators look at those very closely, and I believe everyone I've ever seen has been spot on. It's not something that anybody's paying for the endorsements or yeah. paying for the votes. I mean, they are spot on. And, and just just so our listeners know, who's who's actually taking a part in that poll? Who's being polled? Members of the CBA or attorneys who are registered at the Ohio Supreme Court. Yeah. 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 So this is attorneys who have experience with you in front of you in your courtroom. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's not as good as some of the emails I get that I'm, you know, the top 40 in the United <laughs> States if right. I pay $500 and get the fancy <laughs> plaque up on my wall. That That is a legitimate survey system that I believe the results come out. And if you are a litigator, you take them very serious when you're looking at how you're going to possibly approach a particular judge in a particular courtroom because of some of those those findings. So congrats. That really is a great honor to have good numbers there. Thank you. Well, I've got some questions. Mine are going to be really hard. Matt's were softballs. <laughs> uh -oh, I'm we just go. kidding. I'm just curious, how are you balancing everything? Because I can't even imagine I balance running a practice. I balance a family. I balance the just necessities of life that we all have to do. But to add on to that, a campaign, events, what seem to be almost every night, every weekend, how are you doing it? I just want to know personally how someone goes through that process and maintains any kind of sanity. Well, it is actually um, uh, pretty intense right now because we are, I was, I was wrong earlier, we're about two and a half months to the election now. So it is crunch time. And so there are a lot of events. There are a lot of things to to get done. I do have a campaign committee that is very helpful and is helping me uh, spread my name and the good work that we're doing on the bench and off the bench. I also have a fantastic team at work, which I cannot thank enough. I was blessed to enter a position where I have a staff attorney who has 16 years of experience with the court system. He was a staff attorney for a prior judge there. And then on the criminal side of things, I have a bailiff who also has extensive experience with the court system. She actually was my predecessor, Judge Beatty Blunt. She was her bailiff for a number of years. So I have a, a great team in place. My magistrate is Magistrate Elizabeth Waters, who has been there for some time and has a significant experience as well. I have an assistant who does a wonderful job and a court reporter. So 
I could not do what I do on a daily basis without my team. And so I am, I'm very blessed to have them. I'm very blessed to have my campaign committee as well. But there are days where I just think to myself, there is not enough time in the day. There is not enough time to do what I would like to do and what I'd like to accomplish. So I've been just focusing on prioritizing. Makes sense. And for those of you that don't know how important bailiffs are, especially for the litigators, having a competent and responsive bailiff in a courtroom is akin to my right hand here, Miss Camacho, who frankly runs the show. So that's great. You have a wonderful team behind you. Now, every judge obviously has a personal life. What types of things do you like to do outside of this nonsense when it comes to trying to campaign and everything else? You've got to have some downtime. What activities do you enjoy? So I'm a, a certified yoga instructor and a spin instructor. I enjoy both of those things. And in fact, the yoga slash meditation practice has become a necessity. And thank goodness, a, a little reminder came up for me on Facebook the other day. God only knows what we would do without those reminders. But exactly. <laughs> but I just passed my three-year anniversary of becoming a, yoga, a certified yoga instructor. So, But I looked back at those pictures from August of 2017 and realized how individual and personalized my yoga practice has become because it is such a necessity to kind of take me out of the chaos of presiding in court all day and then going into campaigning at night. So I really have devoted a lot of my personal time to to yoga and meditation. I also got a dog last year in August. Love dogs. Me too. And she and she helps a lot with my sanity and what keeping kind of dog? sane. She's an English cream golden retriever. Oh, wonderful dog. Yes. Quite a quite a different step from Luna. That's right. Yes. Luna okay. was a Luna was a yellow lab who I had for 13 years. And she passed in April of 2018. And then it kind of took me a little bit of time. And I got Raina, Raina Jane <laughs> nice. in August of 2019. <laughs> All right. I got to give a shout out to Leonidas at home. If he hears we're talking dogs and I don't at least give him a shout out, I got to do that. So Leonidas, we miss you, buddy. We hope you come over on the show sometime and hang out. Leo is famous for photobombing. He is. Absolutely uh, famous. True story. My kids were all excited to go to their first day of class. You'll have to do the first day of school picture right outside. And Kate and my two children lined up and got a beautiful picture. And then we got to looking into that picture a little later. And in the back left-hand corner was a dog in a squatting position, relieving himself uh, with a number two in the back <laughs> of the photo and photo bombed it going potty in the back. I mean, back it photo. was, it was incredible. Impeccable. I, I had to put it on Facebook because I mean, how funny is that? that we is had no great. idea. Leo knew exactly yes, he knew. what was happening. He knew and he knew I'd appreciate that kind of humor. So that was great. Dogs. 20 years from now, they'll love that photo. They will love they it. They do the darndest right. things. They sure do. Well, that's good to know because I should in the interest of full disclosure say that at one point I didn't realize who you were back then, but I've been a member of the Columbus Athletic Club for quite some time and used to take spinning classes. And when Matt reminded me on who was coming in today, I got a little concerned because I think I was yelled at a few times in spinning <laughs> class for not working hard enough. And but I she, can see that. Yeah. And she did a great job. She did. A, I do remember that. She did a great I can see job. you not working hard enough and I can see her screaming at you. Yeah. There was a little bit of that. I can see both sides. No problem, though. It was good. I needed to get my fat button shaped. That's fine. All right. Well, let me ask you something else that is a little more current event related. Obviously, everybody's dealing with the corona right now in some way, shape, or form. How is the court 
set up or is it set up in a way that the public can go in and see what's really going on, watch trials? How does that work? So when all of this happened, I think Governor DeWine declared the state of emergency on on or about March 9th. Since that time, the court of common pleas on which I serve has gone through five iterations of administrative orders. In the beginning, we continued mostly all of our cases. And we only were dealing with the most time-sensitive, urgent-type cases. And we tried even then to handle them either Zoom or phone, email, any, any way that we could remotely. Since June the 1st, we started, we resumed in-person court hearings as of June 1st. Is that for um, all cases? It's for uh, mainly criminal cases because civil cases aren't as time-sensitive. But of course, sure. if you have a time-sensitive civil case, such as a temporary restraining order or something that needs to be addressed or a civil protection order, those cases are still being heard. But for the most part, it's it's criminal cases. And what we're doing is there's 17 judges down there. I'm one of 17. Uh, one half of us are holding in-person court hearings on one week. And then the, the, the other half are holding in-person court hearings the next. And we rotate. Okay. And we're rotating like that through the end of the year. And that effectively is supposed to minimize the number of people coming in and out of the court. We've also outfitted a number of our courtrooms down there with plexiglass. So there's plexiglass dividers between counsel. There's plexiglass um, around the judge, around the bailiff, around the witness, and then in between each of the jurors. We haven't had that many criminal trials that I'm aware of. I have not had any. I have some scheduled. I have one scheduled that I think is likely to go on Monday. So there is a there is a benefit to not going first under this situation. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's got to be difficult. I know on the litigator side of things, it's very hard for us as plaintiff's lawyers to have a lot of leverage in cases because our leverage is generally, okay, we'll try the case. If we can't resolve it, then we've got to try it. And not having that readily available has been very difficult. It's like a mechanic with no tools. Right. You know, I know right. how to fix a car. I just don't have the tools to do it. So that's been difficult. But Well, and, and directly to respond to your question, if a family member or other people want to come down and observe court proceedings, of course, by law, we have to keep the courtrooms open. They're open right. to the public. So we do leave room for people to attend our, our hearings and That's our great. trials. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it would be a scary country if we shut all the doors. Yeah. I think it uh, would. that would definitely take a turn for the worse. So. That's good. Here's a complicated question, maybe, or at least one that I would have a really difficult time. We live in an age of social media. Obviously, social media has got to be important to your campaign. I'm sure this will wind up somewhere on social media. And when it does, knowing that we've done this show and you've got your fans and then sometimes you don't have fans and sometimes you get some really not so favorable comments, um, whether those are warranted or not, they do show up. So how difficult is it to manage the social media aspect of what you're doing and possibly have to respond to comments that certainly are not uh, positive in nature and sometimes just downright terrible? Right. Well, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we've had to kind of think outside the box and engage in alternative means of campaigning because not all of the traditional means are available to us this year. So as you can imagine, social media has been huge. All of the candidates that I know of are relying heavily upon social media this year to get their names out, to get kind of the, the things that they're doing out to mass groups of people. So you do. You have to be vulnerable. You have to open yourself up on social media and you have to do it frequently. Some people say to do it every day. 
which lends itself to comments, good, bad, inspiring, not so inspiring, encouraging, not encouraging. So I am of the belief that I am an elected official. I am responsible to this community. I do serve this community. I have asked people for their vote. So if I am going to ask you to vote for me, then you should know who I am, what kind of person I am. So I don't mind doing that. But of course, you are going to get the full range of of commentary back. What I've done is I've chosen not to censor any of those comments. I've, I've chosen not to filter them. People are entitled to their opinion. I welcome opinions. Uh, what I try to do is I try to remain cool, calm, and collected and not intensify any type of situation. So I'm not going to engage in debate or dispute or any type of argument over Facebook the way that I preside over my docket. Yeah, I'm sure that some people probably bring up the fact maybe that you are you were appointed and maybe that's got a different connotation to it in some way, shape, or form. I don't know. For me, when I see those comments, I think as lawyers, we're trained to maybe remove the emotion. That's part of our job is to issue spot. And a lot of times clients come in, they have very legitimate concerns that are emotional in nature, but they don't have really any legal significance, even though they are important to them, they should be but there's just no legal significance. So do you find yourself using maybe some of that lawyer training and weeding out some of what could be emotion and look more towards what are they really addressing in the comment? What's the real issue that they're concerned about and respond that way? Sure. There's a a human element to that. And there's also prior experience. You know, I don't know how many times either either in, in private practice or even with a friend or a, a family member where you may have reacted or you may have acted on impulse just to respond. I tried to not do that. And even now in my professional practice, I try to, I guess the saying is respond and not react. So even if it's to take a day or two and, and think about how I am going to respond, I'd rather do that than, than respond out of any type of reactionary or impulse. Or um, not respond at all. Or she, not respond at all. Right? Yeah, you're, you're a much better person than I <laughs> Well, I learned something from a mentor of mine early in practice, because once you get your law license, you're ready to fire off all kinds of nasty letters. Uh, It seems like that goes hand in hand. But what I learned was, is write the letter back when we had paper, put it on your desk and read it the next day and think, is that what I'm really trying to say? Or do I look like a fool because I'm venting my emotions and I'm not really making any good arguments? I'm just complaining or you know, I'm offended, so I'm pissed off and I'm going to write some things I don't mean. That was great advice. And I'm assuming maybe that same type of mindset serves you well when you're dealing with social media. Yeah. And actually, that same principle can be carried over almost into anything. I mean, as we're talking, I realize that's exactly how I issue my decisions. I will usually write a decision or I will usually have an outline of a decision. I will put it away for maybe a week and come back to it and read it again and figure out if that's really kind of the direction I want to go in the case. I never thought about that, but that makes a lot of sense. I would think as a judge, you not that your opinions change, but sometimes, let's be honest, we just need time to let it sink in and digest. Right. And sometimes you do need that time to, you know, I talked about my team earlier, particularly my staff attorney who helps me with those issues. We will work collaboratively on these issues, put, put something away, come back to it in a week or two, and, and maybe one of us have had another idea in the interim. Yeah. 
Yeah, boy, I don't know what that's like. I've got another attorney in the office, and I always wait for some good advice, but uh, it hasn't come. So <laughs> well, I, I know, know when, when in a prior <laughs> life, when I used to, uh, when I was staff counsel for a judge, you know, we would we would write our opinions almost with the idea that this might be on appeal. Yeah. Almost every time we just said, you know what, how would we write this if this was going to be appealed? And, and so that's kind of how our frame of mind was when we did those opinions. We would write it, rewrite it, look at it again, try to look at it from the eyes of an appellate court and say, make sure we're we're 100% on. Yeah, you know, and it helps that for me in particular, that while working at Vori's, not only did I do civil litigation at the trial level, I also did a fair share of appellate work. I've argued probably throughout many, many courts of appeals in Ohio up to the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. So I do write in that fashion. I My staff attorney probably would laugh if he were here, but I'm always saying to him, you know, what's the Court of Appeals going to get out of this if we write it this way? And so, so yeah, that's a great point. It sounds like there is a lot to learn if you're going to go down the road to the robe. And I know that just in my own practice in 15 years, I've learned a lot, but I've always wondered, how do I wind up on the bench and just know what to do, know how to rule? Can you shed some insight? I'm assuming you receive some form of judicial training on how to be a judge up there, because how else would you know other than through the process of obviously being in the courtroom as an attorney and watching and listening to how judges conduct certain trials or hearings? But outside of that, I feel like I'd just be lost. Do you get some training on that? Yeah, we do. Thank goodness. So. My experience also as a assistant prosecuting attorney was good training for this as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. What happens when you work uh, as an assistant prosecuting attorney is you have a docket every morning in the court of common pleas. And so I was there on a daily basis and I was in every courtroom at one point or the other in the, in the five years that I was trying cases at trial staff. So from a logistical standpoint, I was there. I saw how these these judges ran their courtrooms on a daily basis for about five years. When I became a judge, of course, there's all kinds of other issues and and rules rules and a lot of other stuff (laughs) that you have to know. And so the Ohio Supreme Court puts together a new judges training. It's two weeks, one in December and one in May. Um, Because I was appointed in March, I did mine in the reverse. I did the week in May 1st, and then I did the the week in December uh, 2nd. Judge camp. (laughs) Welcome to judge camp. It's not not baby judges school? It is. It is. Wow. Judge camp. I want to go. Baby judges boot camp. Oh, there we go. That's awesome. (laughs) That's awesome. I love that. You need to rename that officially for the state. Yes. Yes. And we learned a lot. And then the other thing that the Supreme Court does, which was very helpful, was they assign you a judge mentor. And my judge uh, who was assigned to me was Judge Janet Burnside out of Cuyahoga County. Oh, yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And she she's fantastic. Mm -hmm. She had been on the bench in Cuyahoga County since 1997. Tough bench to be on, too. The Mm -hmm. litigation gets pretty aggressive up there. Yes. And, you know, the first couple trials I presided over. I had her on speed dial. <laughs> That's awesome. So important in this profession to have a good mentor to work off of and learn from. It's one of the things I love about the legal profession. It's like the phone is always on pickup at any time for anybody that needs help. Yes. It seems that way within the profession. It I, is. It's one it, of the things it, I love. In the legal profession here, particularly in Columbus, I know Judge Burnside's up in Cleveland, but uh, even here, I mean, the other judges on on my bench were so accessible, open door policy, come in and ask anything that you need. So that was great. And then former Justice Evelyn Lumberg Stratton, 
she has also been a mentor to me as well as um, Judge Lisa Sadler. So no shortage of jurists came out to help me when I first started, which was amazing. There's a reason they call it practice. That's right. Right. That's we're right. all practicing <laughs> and we still have to pick the phone up and make a call every now and then to make sure we're doing it right. Absolutely. Yeah. You never stop learning. Wait, right. so I'm so I'm in the perfection of law then. I'm in the perfected. Um, yeah. Maybe you're in the practice. May, I'm in maybe, the maybe maybe more law clerk status, oh. possibly. <laughs> Weren't you a law clerk for a Did while? Did I get demoted I staff counsel? Staff counsel. Oh. That sounds like a fake, <laughs> a fake promotion of some kind. <laughs> All right. What I I really like about your background as somebody that appears in front of a lot of different judges, your background encompasses both the criminal and the civil components. Some judges, they mean well and they, you know, do the best they can, but they just don't have that background. And it's very difficult in the civil world to go in front of a judge who has a background of all criminal and sometimes explain the concepts because Again, it's it's not a lack of intelligence on the judge's part. They just don't have that experience. So the fact that you have both is, to me, a big selling point on why I would vote for you. And other people should consider that, that when you want a judge to to be well-rounded, that, to, in my opinion, is the best kind of judge out there. You don't want to have a judge that only has experience in one particular area. So that's great. I'm well, happy to hear that. Thank you. And I actually was having... Uh, lunch with a lawyer in, in a civil practice the other day. And she was kind of asking me about my time on the bench and what I see and the different types of cases that I've dealt with. And I mentioned to her, you know, thank goodness I did have the civil background. I am one of the judges that like to invite counsel to have oral argument on their motions for summary judgment, because being a former civil litigator, I understand that that's where most civil cases are won or lost. Yes. And those clients really want their day in court. It means a lot to the client to hear their lawyer advocate for them. Right. And a lot of times when you're advocating on paper, the client may get a copy and not understand half of what's in there because they're just, that's just not their area. I mean, we're the lawyers, we're writing with the quote big words, but to be in public, to watch your lawyer advocate in front of a judge, even if there's a loss. I've had cases where we've lost hearings and the client has said, I really appreciate everything you did on our behalf because you were obviously fighting for me. They see that is what we're supposed to do, which is advocate. But it's hard to really have that same passion on paper. Right, right. And, you know, especially when the client gets the bill, let's be honest. Yeah, for sure. They get a bill and they see that you've, you know, spent a lot of time on research and writing, probably discovery and depositions and that kind of thing. But when they see you in action, it becomes somehow more more worth it to them, more real. Right. They understand it. So having that civil background, I think, and again, noting that 60% of my docket is civil, has really served me well coming to the bench. Yeah, that's great. All right. Well, the clock is ticking. We've uh, we've exceeded our timeline, which is totally fine because when it's good information, I mean, why would you not want to hear it? Never not, enough time in the day. Never enough time. And what's the date that we got to go vote? You should probably fill so us in on that. So here is the deal. Um, right. Because of the coronavirus, a lot of people are expected to absentee vote. Yeah. And you can actually request your absentee vote now. And early voting and early in-person voting will start October 6th, but you can request your absentee ballot if you'd rather vote from home now. Election day is November the 3rd. Okay. Well, 
I know who I'm voting for. <laughs> uh, me too. But I, I've got to, I want to see some debates and some other things. I can't get, I can't do the early voting yet. Yeah. I mean, for certain right. things I could, yeah. but for the entire ballot, you know, I want to make sure that right. I, I see some of the other Well, the debates are still supposedly going to happen. I think the first one happens. Is it a Zoom debate? Will it be via Zoom? <laughs> well, I'm not engaged in any debates, but I will say that we're, we are going to have candidate nights and those kind of things. Those are going to be Zoom. In all sincerity, we we do appreciate your service to the community. It yes, sounds absolutely. like you are tremendously engaged with not only the community, but your courtroom and those who show up in front of you. So, And very well qualified. Well qualified is, is for litigators and just the general public needs to understand the importance of a judge that, again, is well-rounded and well-qualified. And has excellent temperament because that is a big thing. And some of us, like myself, could never run for judge for that very reason. <laughs> uh, but yeah, can attest to that. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you didn't, you know, act the way you do around here, and especially on the show, I wouldn't get so upset. <laughs> now I'm getting all upset. I can feel it. blood pressure is going up. Everything. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on today. We really do appreciate it. We will be editing this and getting it out uh, as soon as possible. Again, you can find us on iTunes, Buzzsprout iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Feel free to comment on Facebook and let us know. We've got season three right around the corner. We're, and before we sign off, we want to just thank you again, Judge Russo, for coming in and sharing with us uh, the road to the robe. What a long journey it's been and only three months to go or how about, the, about two and a half, two and yeah. half months. Okay. But thanks so much. No, thank you. The um, pleasure is all mine, and I'm honored to be here. Again, no pun. <laughs> it's uh, your honor, your honor. <laughs> thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to SOL. Join us next time on Facebook Live, YouTube Live, and iTunes. For additional information or questions related to your legal matter, contact the Baker Law Group at 614-228-1882. That's 614-228-1882. Be safe, know your rights, and follow the law. This podcast is adjourned.